Hello, Renoites listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McWivy. I'm your host, as always. This is the podcast where I talk to all kinds of people from Northern Nevada, and I'm very excited that my guest this week on the podcast is the former governor of Nevada and current president of UNR, Brian Sandoval. On today's episode, we had a great conversation about both his history as governor of Nevada, some of the things that brought him to that office, his career in politics, but mostly we talked about his current role at UNR, what is happening with the university, what it was like stepping into that position at the height of COVID effectively, creating more digital opportunities for students who couldn't be on campus in person, the role that the university can play in creating jobs for people that are graduating from UNR so that we can keep them here in Northern Nevada, and much more. It was really great to have President Sandoval on the show. Very grateful that he took the time to do this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. Now's the time. I am beginning to prepare for the next season of Renoites. Love to know who you would want to hear on the show. Shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, and you can send me a message there as well. That's at Renoites on Instagram. This is the last episode of the current season of Renoites. I'm going to be back with new episodes in a couple months. But in the meantime, there are live events. I'm doing another live taping of Renoites this coming Thursday. That is March 9th at Black Rabbit Mead. This one is going to be with Vicky Musney from DJ Trivia Sierra Nevada. I've talked a little bit about DJ Trivia on the show before. They're celebrating their 10-year anniversary of doing business here in Northern Nevada with a Challenge for Charity trivia contest with the goal of raising $10,000 for local charities. Please come check that out. I will have more information on my Instagram. Again, that is this Thursday at Black Rabbit Mead. The actual event, the Challenge for Charity, is going to be on April 15th at the Little Waldorf. And now this week's guest for the season finale of Renoites, former governor and current president of UNR, Brian Sandoval. UNR President Brian Sandoval, welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I have to admit you are the like the big guest for the show because I've been doing the show for a couple of years and you're the former governor of Nevada, you're the president of the university, so I feel pretty excited to have you on the show. Very excited about it. No, thank you for having me. I'm just a kid from Sparks, right. Nevada. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do want to talk mostly about stuff that's going on in your current role as the president at UNR, but a lot of people know you as the former governor of Nevada. So to start, can you just tell me a little bit about your interest in public service? I know you were a lawyer and then you ran for elected office and you ended up taking kind of the path through the governorship, through more administrative rather than lawmaker. Can you just talk a little bit about your legal background and how that's kind of connected all of the things that you've done up till now? No, of course. And, you know, I don't want to take too much time, but it goes back even further than that. You know, when I was a kid, I really loved history and I really admired um, public servants. And my mom was a legal secretary. That's how I became interested in the law. Mm -hmm. But even in high school, I was involved in student government and attended Boise State and then came here to University of Nevada and was very proud to be a student here and was involved in student government. I was the student legal director, hmm. which was interesting for ASUN, and then went on to law school and passed the Nevada bar and started practicing law. But immediately after um, 
beginning my practice, I was appointed by the city of Reno to a couple committees by then Mayor Pete Safraza, mm-hmm. going way back. Right. And, but in any event, uh, and that really stoked my interest even more in public service. Now, I had always hoped to get involved in public service, but no one in my family had ever been involved mm-hmm. and was elected to anything. And just serendipitously, when I was practicing law, one day, one of the associates in my office came to me and said, hey, Brian, we're going to interview some assembly candidates. You want to come along? And I'm like, no, I got things to do. And he said, just come and watch. So I, I don't recall the building in Reno, but there was a conference room and they interviewed several assembly candidates. And I thought, I know as much as they do. (laughs) And then I guess the serendipity comes in is that I had just moved into the district that then Assemblyman Jim Gibbons lived in, and he had decided to run for governor, which Mm. created a vacancy. Got it. And so I decided to run and was fortunate to be elected in the Nevada Assembly in 1994. Mm. And then it just kind of took off from there. But um, I guess backing up a little bit, a a really important fact is while I was in college here at UNR, I interned for then Senator Paul Axalt Mm. in Washington, D.C. And he was a mentor to me my entire life and really conducted himself as a true public servant, a gentleman, and somebody who just had a profound passion for the state of Nevada. Mm. And that made an impression on me that stays with me to this day. Yeah. Did you ever consider running for U.S. Senate uh, rather than governor? Or was that ever part of your potential path? Or were you more interested in in the governor role and going from there? Well, I never imagined myself (laughs) as governor, to be honest. I mean, I like, you know, we were talking before we started the podcast. You know, I grew up in Sparks. I raised sheep. That's how I paid my tuition. Yeah. And if you told me that I was going to be governor someday, I would have thought it was more likely that I would have landed on Mars, mm-hmm. you know, been the first astronaut on Mars. But as I continued on throughout my public service career, I was in the Nevada Assembly, and then I was appointed to the Nevada Gaming Commission. Then I was elected Attorney General mm-hmm. of Nevada, and then I was appointed to the United States District Court as a federal judge, which was a lifetime appointment. Step down from that to run mm. for governor. So when I took the bench, given that it's a lifetime appointment, I thought this is it. And this was a great it, you yeah. know, to, to be at the, essentially the top of the legal profession with a lifetime appointment. Yeah. But at the time, that's when Nevada was in its worst you know, economic recession in its history. And I really felt, you know, just a duty to try, you know, and, and it really was a, a big risk because I had to step down from a lifetime appointment. And, you know, ironically, my opponent in the primary was Jim Gibbons. Mm. He was the sitting <laughs> go- governor. And no sitting governor in the history of Nevada had ever lost in a primary. But I was fortunate to win that primary and then to go on. And my general election appointment was Rory Reed, who was the son of Harry mm. Reed, which again, you know, is pretty interesting because Harry Reid was the one who recommended me to the U.S. District Court to oh, President okay. Bush. But, you know, all along the way, it, it wasn't like someday I'm going to run for governor. It just kind of happened mm-hmm. and, um, you know, served those two terms and here I am at UNR. Yeah. Um, I did not live here while you were governor. So I grew up here in Reno. I moved away when I went to college in Vegas. And then I was living in Portland and in the Bay Area during your time as governor. 
So I wasn't following closely Nevada politics. But one thing that I heard all of the time from all of my Democratic friends is, oh, like, I would never vote for Republicans. I don't agree with all these things, except Brian Sandoval is great. So like, you had a lot of fans across the aisle. And I think even now, I think you are looked back at as a governor who um, had broad appeal. And I'm curious, is that something that you think is really important, the bipartisanship? Is that something you intended to always do as governor, is kind of work in a bipartisan way and uh, have more broad appeal? Because obviously politics have gotten very, very partisan, um, even more so since you have not been in that office. I suppose it's not what I intended to do. It's who I am. Mm. And at my core... All my decisions, and let me backing up, you know, being a federal judge was really helpful in terms of my service as governor because obviously as a judge, you look at both sides mm-hmm. and you listen to everybody and then you make the best decision that you can. So as governor, I made a solemn promise to myself that my decisions would be informed by what is in the best interests of Nevada. Mm-hmm. And I have a philosophy that, you know, as an elected person, you're elected into office, you make decisions, and if the majority of people agree with the decisions you make, then you'll be reelected. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, when I took the position as governor, it was a really difficult time. As I said, the recession, and we were last in the country in high school graduation rate. We were last in the country in reading and math attainment. We were last in the country with regard to um, medically insured. I mean, there was a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. So from a political lens, I was pretty unconventional because I didn't vote with the party. Mm-hmm. You know, I, but I did vote and push legislation that was in the best interest. What I believed in my humble opinion was the state. So it, you know, sometimes the Democrats were happy mm-hmm. as me being a Republican. Sometimes they weren't, but overall, I think they know that I thought about things very thoroughly. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your new role or new-ish now. It's been a couple of years as president at UNR. What was that? How has that been, that transition from the kind of very visible, I mean, the governor, is a, it's a state position, but it's also very nationally important, right? Like governors are in the news cycle sometimes. And now you have a more specific focus here in Northern Nevada, here at UNR. Can you just talk a little bit about what that has been like going from what you were doing to what you're doing now at the university. No, of course. And there was a gap between me being governor and me serving as president mm-hmm. of the university. I did serve as the president of global gaming development for MGM Resort. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yes. So I was working primarily in Japan hmm. uh, because uh, the Japanese government had approved for the development of an integrated resort. MGM was competing to be one of the companies to mm. be able to develop that. So it was m- my job to go over there and help move that along. Oh, so, okay. But then the position came up uh, with regard to a vacancy. President Johnson had decided to retire, and there was an opening. And you know, I'd worked very closely with higher education as governor and throughout my entire public service um, career. As I said, I went to school here, and I have a really profound love, a passion and appreciation for this campus and for higher education and what it can do for students. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it changed my life. And so in any event, um, was fortunate to be appointed as the 17th president of the university. And they're different, but the same, mm-hmm. if that, that makes sense. I mean, this is a campus of about 20,000 students and 
probably 7,000 faculty and staff. It's a small city. It has a tremendous amount of history. We're about to celebrate our sesquicentennial, 150 years. Starting next year, we'll be oh, wow. in our 150th year. So I, you know, but on the same hand, it's different, as I said, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I've, I've come to understand shared governance, you know, and working with the faculty, working with the students, working with the affinity groups, working with the foundation, working with the community, all of, all of those things. I think I have 16 direct reports that I meet with at least twice monthly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of things personally. So I'm actually a little busier than I was as governor. (laughs) Um, But, as governor, obviously, you're all over the state. You're in right, you're in right. rural Nevada. You're in Las Vegas. You're in northern Nevada, Carson City. Mm-hmm. You deal. You work with the legislature on some of those things that we talked about a minute ago. Mm-hmm. But I suppose at the end of the day, for me, the opportunity here was really to, to continue to elevate northern Nevada and this university mm-hmm. to really take its place as one of the finest universities in the country. Yeah. Do you have? Do you like that more specific? purpose. Obviously, the governor does a lot of different things, and it's a pretty broad role. Are you enjoying having a more kind of focused goal with this area, this university, this particular thing? Yeah, I don't know. And and people ask me all the time, what do you like better, Mm -hmm. being governor and being president? And, you know, I tell them, it's like choosing between your kids, you know, (laughs) you love them both, but for different reasons, and they're different people. And Mm -hmm. I love them both for different reasons, you know, and different, um, and they're different jobs. What I've found is that in a large sense, I can continue a lot of the things that I was working on as governor. Mm -hmm. An example of that is during my governorship and perhaps we'll talk about it, but we were able to recruit Tesla to come to Northern Nevada. I was out there a few weeks ago because they're going to be expanding the gigafactory, but Mm -hmm. Important point being, a lot of our graduates and students are working out there. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to continue building that bond between industry and what's happening in northern Nevada and throughout the state of Nevada and this university and ensuring that we're graduating students from the different colleges and schools to be able to fill those jobs. Mm -hmm. So it really is a win-win. It's good for the community, it's good for the economy, and it's good for this university. Also on this season, I have an episode with one of the the protesters of the Thacker Pass lithium mine. And I know that while you were governor, a big part of what you did was bringing Tesla, a lot of green energy, green energy work, right, to make Nevada a, a center for kind of our changing energy needs. I imagine the university also has a lot to do with, you know, graduating people who are going to work in these industries. So can you just talk a little bit about your work, both either as governor or as president of the university, around green energy and um, also about the proposed mine in Thacker Pass? So with regard to green energy, obviously, we're very blessed in Nevada for the amount of solar energy. Yeah, we, lots of sun. That we have. And um, so there was really an expansion of, of the solar fields, both in southern and, and northern Nevada. So um, we really worked hard to in, encourage that. You know, the, the lithium rush was kind of in its beginning stages, and um, it, it certainly has evolved and is really important for what people are calling the lithium loop, hmm. which is you can mine the lithium, you can process the lithium, you can deliver it to a Tesla or a Dragonfly Energy. They can make it part of their manufacturing process. 
and put it in their cars or, or what have you in their batteries. And then after that, they have to be recycled. And we have the recycling companies. Redwood Materials is one of those. And they'll recycle the batteries. And then the, the lithium they recover will go right back to Tesla mm. and Panasonic to build the batteries. So that, therefore, that, that's the loop. Thacker Pass, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with. And there's a collision there. There's a, a great resource with regard to lithium. But there are a lot of environmental concerns as well. And so working with the tribes and working with all the affected parties, there's some endangered plant that is there as well. You really have to find a balance. And I'm confident that that can be done. I know there's been some litigation around that as well, but um, certainly we have uh, researchers and faculty that are working on both sides of of the issue. Mm -hmm. And that's the the beauty of this campus is that we bring the intellectual resources to really get this to a place where hopefully we can find a balance to preserve those plants, to mine in a very environmentally sensitive way. I had uh, Brian McArdle on the show this season, who's the revitalization manager for the city of Reno. And he talked a lot about recruiting workforce and keeping workforce in the area. Can you talk a little bit about how the university is working to make sure that graduates have jobs here in the area that, you know, that we don't have the brain drain that a lot of other cities might experience? Well, and that's one of the things that was happening as governor that concerned me was the university was graduating a lot of students, but in order to get a job in their field, they had to go out of state. Mm-hmm. And we really need needed to build this industry, advanced manufacturing and, and all the different things that we did, Apple, Tesla, Google, you know, the list goes on and on. Yeah. So that graduates could graduate from here, stay here, and have a wonderful job. So as president now, I'm constantly meeting with companies and talking about the opportunities our students can bring them. So for example, last week I was at Dragonfly Energy. I don't know if you heard of that, but they're mm-hmm. a battery manufacturing company that was actually started at UNR. It was oh, started okay. by two UNR graduates who both got their MBAs here, mm-hmm. one of whom was formerly a professor at USC and had a specific technology with regard to batteries. He literally, it's the American dream, started developing this in his garage, and now it's evolved into a publicly traded company. But they hire multiple UNR graduates first to be interns and then to be engineers Mm. in their company. So I also sit on the board of the Economic Development Authority of Western Nevada, EDON. So that's an opportunity to meet with the representatives of industry from a lot of different discipline and talk about our graduates and the quality of our graduates. So I really do feel it's an important presidential responsibility and priority to be out there meeting with all the different companies to ensure that our students have the opportunities they deserve. Mm -hmm. This episode won't be out till early March, but we're recording on the first day of the Nevada legislative session. And I know our new governor, Joe Lombardo, was here recently, a few days ago, last week, I think. How does that work? Uh, obviously, you've been the governor before. Now you're the president of the university. How will that work or how does that work in this new role as working with the current governor? What do you hope to see? Kind of what was that What was that visit like? What do you guys talk about and what are your priorities that involve state government? Yeah, no, and great questions. So I've known Governor Lombardo for many years and he was the sheriff um, of 
in Metro in, in Clark County, and I really have a lot of respect for him. And within his proposed budget, so he gave his state of the state, and he was very generous and supportive of higher education. One of the big priorities for me was restoring our budget. So during the pandemic, obviously the state took a big hit with regard to our economy, and the legislature and the former governor had to make some really difficult decisions to cut funding throughout the state, one of which was the university system. Hmm. And as a result, we've had to keep a couple hundred positions open on campus to balance our budget because of those cuts. So now the governor's proposed to restore our budget. And what that means, you know, one example of that is we'll be able to restore 42 faculty positions on our campus, which is going to be very beneficial uh, to students. Also included within the budget is a cost of living adjustment for faculty and staff. It's 8% in the first year, 4% in the second year. Yeah, the cost of living in northern Nevada particularly mm-hmm. has really increased. And while, you know, the, the salaries of our faculty and staff have, have remained flat. So that's going to be very beneficial. Another item that we really lobbied for and worked with the governor was an increase in the graduate student stipends for our students. So similarly, our graduate students get a fixed stipend. Mm-hmm. And because of the cost of living, that stipend just doesn't go very far. Well, it's really important to our research mission. You know, we are Carnegie High Research Institution. We're one of the top 110 research universities in the United States of America. (laughs) And so this will help us not only to retain our graduate students, but also to recruit them. So that is great. We also, it didn't make it in the budget, but we're going to continue to work. We are proposing a new life sciences building for those Listeners that are familiar with our campus, we have the um, Fleshman Science Building, mm-hmm. but it was built in the mid-50s. And <laughs> they've worked really hard to, to really provide modern amenities within that building, but it gets to a certain point with venting and those types of things, the electrical and what have you, that we ha- we need a new building. Yeah. And so one of the, you asked, what, what did the governor and I talk about? Well, that's one of the things. We toured them at the Fleshman Ag Building. And showed him, you know, one of your priorities is workforce development and really expanding Nevada's footprint. We can help you with that, but we need the facilities to do that. So that was an important component. Another piece of his proposed budget includes $75 million for the Millennium Scholarship. Mm. And for any individual who graduates from a Nevada high school, if they have a certain GPA, it pays approximately a third of their tuition. Yeah, I I had the Millennium Scholarship. It was one of the first years that it was available, I think. I graduated here in 2001 and then went down to UNLV. And the Millennium Scholarship was a game changer for me to be able to go to college without without having to take out a ton of student debt. Um, So glad to hear that that is getting shored up a bit. Yeah, and you know it really helps us. And you're right that that could be the difference between you know a student being able to attend or not. Another piece of the budget that's really important for us is the governor put sixty million dollars in the budget for all of the Nevada system of higher education for maintenance. But for our campus, you know, we talked about we're going to be 150 years right. old. We have a lot of older buildings mm-hmm. that um, that need help, and so our piece of that pie will really be significant. And one of my goals is to ensure that every building on campus is ADA compliant. Mm. And so that will get us to that goal if the legislature approves that. So the governor went to the Fleshman Ag building. He also went to the School of Medicine and met with the dean of the medical school. 
also in his budget was, um, I think it's like approximately $10 million for graduate uh, medical education. In other words, when a medical student graduates from medical school, they obviously go on to a residency. Mm-hmm. And so what this money would do would stay within the state of Nevada to develop new residencies, which allows us to keep those medical students because a medical student is 70% more likely to stay in the place where they do their residency. Mm, gotcha. So we love our medical students and we train them here, but we want to keep them here right, right. as well. And so the governor went there. Um, he met with uh, our athletic department and several of our coaches. Um, we had a chance to sit down and talk about a few things and make a presentation with regard to what our, our priorities are. Michael uh, Flores, who's the head of our government relations, really did a good job of putting all this together. So it was a great day. Hey there, listeners. I hope you are enjoying this episode with President Sandoval. Just interrupting for a moment to tell you about Patreon. This is a fully community-oriented, local, independent project, Reno is, and it can only stay that way and continue to exist with some financial support from listeners. You can help by donating even just a couple bucks a month. Think of it like throwing a dollar in the tip jar at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Renoites. I have several different levels you can donate at. There's some perks for donors, things like stickers, merchandise, a sort of behind-the-scenes newsletter, a little more access to me if you want to contribute to the show, your ideas and thoughts. It's really great. I am so thankful for the people who are contributing already. Again, that's patreon.com slash renoites to learn a little bit more. I hope you'll consider providing a little bit of financial support to make this show sustainable. I'd like to keep doing it for a long time, and I can only do that with your help. And now, back to the episode. So you took this position at probably the most challenging time. It was the middle of COVID. It was the beginning of a school year where the campus, I don't remember exactly, but parts of the campus are shut down. There's a lot of this move to digital. Can you just talk a little bit about the experience of stepping into that role in the middle of a pandemic and um, and what that was like? No, it was difficult. I mean, more obviously for the students. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it impacted their their experience. And when I stepped in, we were in a high flex mode. So at the time, there were still the mask requirements and the social distancing requirements. So when you're six foot social distancing, obviously you can't have these large mm. courses because we simply didn't have a room big enough to accommodate all of the the students. And there was the mandatory testing, COVID testing as well, unless there was a, a religious exemption or a medical exemption. But in any event, um, you know, just really balancing the health, safety, and welfare of the students, faculty, and staff on our campus, but at the same time, trying to provide the best educational experience that we could. So one of the things I learned um, was there was a real issue with digital equity. And what that means is not every student had a device and not every student had access to Wi-Fi or maybe student had a device, you know, was antiquated or, (laughs) you know, old. And so we started what's called the Digital Wolfpack Initiative, and we partnered with Apple, and every incoming freshman receives an Apple iPad Air, an iPen, and a keyboard now, and every transfer student, so that every student who enters our university will be 
similarly situated in terms of their opportunities. We also have an, an Apple expert on our campus who's training students how to use those devices as, as well as faculty. Right. And then as part of our student orientation program at the beginning of the, of the year, we call it Nevada Fit. And all of this, the freshmen and transfer students come to our campus a week early. They're required to do so. But as part of that um, Nevada Fit, they receive instruction on how to use that iPad. So on the first day of school, they can hit the ground running. But we've evolved since then mm-hmm. um, in terms of, obviously, here we are. We're, um, it's more of an endemic than a, than a pandemic. Um, we're fully in person, which I think is important for our, our students. But there were lessons learned. And what we discovered is that we can effectively deliver a quality education online. So we are in the process of doing a search for a new vice provost of online education, which will beef up our online offerings so we can go where the students are. So perhaps you live in Elko or Winnemucca or Ely or any of these rural towns mm-hmm. in Nevada, but you're not able to come to our campus and you'll be able to take classes here. Excellent. Yeah, I'm glad that some good has come out of all of the digital changes that happened during the pandemic. And it's not just at the university, but in general, I hear this all the time of it was a challenge, but we learned new things. We found ways to adapt. We acquired new technologies that will probably continue going forward. So it's good to hear that that's continuing to be part of what you're doing here. But I do want to say it it hit our students hard. And you know, I think we're just starting to come out of that. We've provided a lot of mental health resources for our students, uh, which I think is really important, and provided other um, opportunities and services for all of them. Excellent. A common theme on this show with almost everyone I talk to is about the urban development, the core of Reno, downtown, how things are changing. And I'm excited to talk to you about the university's role in that, because I always think of the, you know, the entertainment district of downtown as being surrounded by neighborhoods and areas which are doing very well. And I always say, oh, yeah, the university is doing well just north of downtown. But downtown itself is always the challenge. And I know that there is some goal to kind of merge those two to some degree. We want more students living on the other side of the freeway. We want more housing that is close to campus and close to downtown, so it's walkable. So can you talk a little bit about what the goal is there and what's going on with that process of kind of making UNR not just its own thing separate from Reno, but really like a central and integral part of what Reno is? No, of course. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I like to say a great university needs a great city and a great city needs a great university. Mm-hmm. And I've met with the, the mayor and all the members of, of the city council to see how we can accomplish that. And there are several pieces to that, one of which was renaming Center Street to University Way. Mm-hmm. Most universities have a dedicated street or way or boulevard that Everyone knows once you get on that street, it takes you straight into the university. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really important. And ironically, Center Street was called University Way for a short time right. in the history of, of Reno. But I think the biggest project on the books right now is we'll be hopefully breaking ground on a new business building and a hotel conference center immediately south of the university. And the, for the listeners that are familiar with Reno, there's a Jimmy John's mm, yeah. there. But it's a, a vacant lot on the south side. But we have worked with and partnered with Edgemore Development, which is a national developer on university campuses to mm. build this this building. But we're really excited about 
building, a new business building, which again will will get us right up against Interstate 80. We also have partnered with Reno City Center, which is the old Harris building. Yeah. And we are subletting 85 studio apartments for them for our graduate students. Oh, okay. And so what I'd like to see, what you, you know, what you mentioned is someday a university district, just like we have a midtown between downtown Reno and the university along University mm-hmm. Way, that would have a combination of retail and student housing, faculty housing, staff housing, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of towns have, but it, you know, it's, I think the time has come here in Reno. Yeah. On the housing front, I know that uh, we have to build more. I'm generally a proponent of if housing costs are too high, it means that there's too much demand and not enough supply. So build some housing. As the university, I'm not sure what the on-campus population versus the off-campus is and what kind of levers you have as a university to affect actual housing construction in the area? Is the university building more dorms? Are you partnering to build more off-campus but close-by housing? What does that look like as far as the housing development? Well, if you drove up North Virginia recently, you'll see a massive building. Mm -hmm. And the university doesn't own it, and it is not developing it, but it's going to be for student housing. There's a tremendous amount of construction that's going on around campus, both on North North Virginia Street and on Evans Avenue. There's a new project called Here Reno. I believe it's going to add about 1,500 beds in and, in and around campus. And then north, up above the baseball field, there's a tremendous amount of construction going on up there. So I'm, I can't really say I had anything to do with it, but I think the developers saw the value of being near campus. And with us being a pretty much a residential campus, students do like living near campus and be able to to walk to campus. I'm real excited. And um, in the future, we're going to pursue other opportunities to develop more. You know, we talk about housing, but I think the key word is affordable housing. And to find more affordable housing opportunities, particularly for our entry-level faculty and our graduate students and for our staff. And so we've been approached and are starting to have those types of, of conversations. Excellent. Um, you host a podcast too. I do. <laughs> yes. So uh, your podcast is the university's podcast and it's about the the history and what's happening and kind of the future of the university. And I think a big part of trying to communicate what you want a city or a university or whatever to be is, is storytelling is, is giving a clear and consistent idea of what the story is, what the idea is. So can you just talk a little bit about that part of your job of not necessarily branding, but maybe just uh, creating a, a vision of what UNR should be um, and how you go about kind of creating that shared story? Of course. You know, and talking about that, that podcast, and we previously talked about you know what my observation experiences were on campus. One thing's for sure, we have amazing faculty that is doing amazing instruction and research all over the world. As I said, I'm really proud of our students and staff. And I, you know, a lot of people don't know about it. Mm. And so I decided let's start telling these stories and let our faculty, staff, and students be able to tell the stories themselves. And I decided to call the podcast Sagebrushers. A little bit of trivia for you, but uh before, and I think it was approximately 1924, we were not the University of Nevada Wolfpack. We were the University of Nevada Sagebrushers. Mm. But in those days, 
students weren't real enamored with the nickname sagebrushers. And so they were contemplating, and I looked it up, or I had some research done, and they found some articles within the Nevada Sagebrush, which is the student newspaper, that they were starting to explore other names. One would have been coyotes. Uh, I, I'm forgetting the other ones, but um, Mustangs was another one. But there was a radio announcer who was calling a Nevada football game, and he said, that team plays like a pack of wolves. Mm. And that's how we became the Wolf Pack. Oh, fun. But, but in any event, um, it really is an opportunity to promote the university. But, you know, in, in terms of your question, where would I like us to be and who, who are we? Mm-hmm. I mean, we are an original land-grant institution founded in 1874. We are to be available to everybody and, and make sure that everyone has an opportunity to come to this campus, and regardless of what their hope and dream is, that we provide the instruction and the mentorship and the resources for those students to be successful. But we also have to be competitive. And I talked a little bit about technology. I talked about the research that we're doing. My goal is to become a member of the American Association of Universities, which is the top 60 research universities in the country. Hmm. It's going to take a lot to get there, but we need to upgrade our facilities, recruit the best faculty, the best administrators, what have you. And we're on our way there and have the best deans. We've we've had several deans that have retired, but the deans that have, and they did an amazing job, but the deans that are coming in um, are doing a fabulous job too that will really take us to that next level. But this is a university that students can come to and really be confident that they're getting the best instruction, getting exposed to the best ideas. And as we talked about when they graduate, that they'll have access to the best opportunities. Yeah. In, in a great city. Yes. God. Yeah. <laughs> Love our Northern Nevada Reno Sparks. Yeah. Um, we, I know we only have a, a handful of minutes left. Is there anything that we missed? What else do you want people to know about what you're doing here at the university or what they should be paying attention to? Well, I mean, obviously, everyone is always welcome on our campus. You know, another conversation, part of the conversation that we had was how are we reaching out to connect with the city and the community? Mm-hmm. So we um, had a conversation with Art Town, and Art Town is now having events on our campus. Oh, right and on. so on the quad. But we, you know, I haven't even talked about the arts here. We have a lot performing arts and the students and faculty and really encourage the public to come up here because I don't think they realize just the quality Mm -hmm. that we have of the performances. I've gone to many and I, you could be anywhere in the world and see the same quality. So really seek the opportunities out to come on campus. Right on. Yeah. I, um, I plan on asking your staff for a list of people I could potentially have on the podcast too, because this is the first episode I've done about UNR. This is about two years into this show. And I know there is a lot going on on campus that probably does deserve a little wider audience and more attention. So, uh, yeah, that is part of my plan to, to do a little bit more about what's happening on campus here. No, and it will be limitless in terms of the the amount of people. But, uh, you know, as you know, we have so many graduates in this community. I call it the silver thread that connects all of us. So whether you graduated or didn't graduate from here, this university likely touches you in one, one way or another. And it really is what I like to call the Wolfpack family. We're all in this together. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really great to meet you and learn about what you're doing here in the university and what you hope to see in the future. I am a uh, a big fan of Reno and very excited about Reno's future. I think growing up here, I 
wanted it to be different. I left for a long time and I came back and it was different in ways that I really appreciate and enjoy. So now I'm looking forward to, you know, what's the next 20 years of Reno look like? And I imagine that the university is going to have a pretty significant role to play in all of that. So it was great to be able to chat with you about that. No, thank you. The future is bright. I really appreciate your having me and go pack. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And as always, special thanks to my guest this week, former governor and current president of UNR, Brian Sandoval. Really, really appreciate the time. And it was great to learn a little bit more about what's happening at UNR. I've been doing this show for about two years, and I think this might be the first episode that has been so focused on the university area. So it was fantastic to be able to talk to the current president of the university about it. If you enjoy this show, please help me spread the word. Word of mouth means everything for a podcast like this. And my hope is that you can let your friends and family and social media following and whoever know that this podcast exists. There are tens of thousands of podcast listeners in the Reno area, and a lot of them don't even know that we have a weekly local podcast with a wide variety of guests. So please help me out, spread the word, let people know about the show. It makes a huge difference. Word of mouth means everything to a project like this. Thank you again to those who support this show on Patreon. Your contributions make all the difference and allow the show to continue existing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, you can visit Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Renoites to learn more about that. This season of Renoites was produced by myself, Connor McQuivy, as well as Lynn Lazaro and Ember Braun, both from the Reynolds School of Journalism at UNR. And that's all I've got for you this week. And this is the end of this season of Renoites. I'll be back with normal episodes in a couple months. But in the meantime, I am still doing live episodes at Black Rabbit Mead. Those will be released as well as maybe some bonus episodes between now and the next season. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Renoites for the latest. Talk to you soon. Bye.